Well, it has been amazing to witness how the truth has been sanctifying Mick's heart. And not only Mick, but all of us. Through the trials and momentary afflictions, we all have and will continue to endure. It's been amazing to see our church family rally behind the Radfords and the Henrys, weeping with them, hurting with them, and hopeful with them. As they know, and we know, Brittany is getting all the amens and on beat claps she could ever desire with her king. Church, these trials are sanctifying us. These trials are changing us. And as Joby said last week, Jesus will not leave us how he finds us, how he found us. But he will sanctify us by his word. The Holy Spirit is and will continue to work in the hearts of all of those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise. The Bible says in James that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Well, Jesus is righteousness. So the power of his prayers have no equal. His prayers are always answered because only he does, and he does only what the Father's will is. And this week in our text, we see Jesus pray for some radical things. He continues to pray for his disciples, but he also prays for more. Now, if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to John, we'll be finishing out chapter 17 today as we look at verses 20 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, let us know. Verses most likely going to be on the screen behind me. But as Joby has had us do these past couple weeks, we're going to stand with one another. As I read the words of our high priest interceding on our behalf, Twenty through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come into our hearts. Father, that you would help us in our unbelief. Lord, that we would thank you that you prayed for us, that you knew us before the foundations of the world. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you strengthen us, you encourage us. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts to rejoice at the love you have shown to us? May we rest on your promises. They are sure, sealed by you, Holy Spirit. You will not let them go. Father, be with us this morning, and may your word of truth enter into hearts this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. So before we uh, sift through this morning's text, I thought about all the text in the Bible. <clears throat> now before I get into a Tyler analogy, I want to first acknowledge the holiness of the Word of God. The Word of God is the bread of life. In John 1, we see the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that word became flesh, Jesus. And Jesus says later in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And we know in Exodus, the Israelites were provided with manna that sustained God's people in the wilderness. But Christ sustains us forever. Now with that said, back to my analogy. There are different densities of bread. I actually Googled that, and trust me, it's very underwhelming. Meaning, kids, it wasn't very exciting to look at bread. <laughs> at one end of the scale, you have French bread with a lower density. And near the other end of really dense breads, you have rye. Both still are bread. Now, there are story-esque parts of the Bible that tell of things that are and how they became you read them in larger quantities to understand what's going on. Then there are verses like these this morning. And you read them in small quantities to understand what's going on. So let's eat. Now we're going to be spending some time in verse 20 because Jesus just made a huge statement and I don't want us to miss it. We are included and the prayer of our Savior because of his redemptive work and foreknowledge before the foundations of the world. Those of us who have been called according by his marvelous grace, those who have believed on the name of Jesus, and those who will are in verse 20. Jesus says, those who will believe in me through their word. Their word meaning the disciples' testimony of Jesus. It's Jesus saying, but wait, there are more. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also those who will believe. While on earth, Jesus has been revealing himself most fully to the apostles, so that the apostles will, and they have, reveal the testimony of Christ to those who will believe in the Son of God. Romans 10, 14 we reviewed this verse quite a lot in the past couple of weeks. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And now not long after Christ's ascension, after return to his father, do we see the apostles' testimony preached. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches to all who gathered at Pentecost. Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The Bible says 3,000 souls were saved that day. Those souls, too, were being prayed for in verse 20 by Jesus himself as they would believe from the apostles. And in this case, it was Peter. In John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, now he's speaking of Thomas, who just touched his scars. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We did not know the hour. And for those who have yet to put their trust in their Savior as King, you do not know the hour of your salvation. But he does. Christian, he knew that you would turn from your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows when you, who do not believe, will turn from your sin and pick up your cross and follow him. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us and the beloved. Jesus knew that Mick would have his heart opened by the power of the Holy Spirit, using Joby, his son, as the vessel in which it was delivered. Jesus knew that on August 8th, Mick would be born again into a kingdom that never perishes, and now he enters into a family of God by the blood of Jesus. Mick, you will now be our brother forever. Jesus knew. And he prayed for us. He knows and he prays for us. John Calvin says this about verse 20. This prayer of Christ is a safe harbor, and whoever retreats into it is safe from all danger of shipwreck. For it is as if Christ has solemnly sworn that he will devote his care and diligence to our salvation. There is nothing, therefore, that ought more powerfully to excite us to embrace the gospel. For as it is inestimable blessing that we are presented to God by the hand of Christ to be preserved from destruction, so we ought to justly to love it and to care for it above all things else. Jesus continues in his prayer, 
for the disciples and us, those who will believe, that we may all be one. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now Jesus is praying, and Jesus knows the joy that is set before him. And he knows we will be reconciled back to the Father. He knows that we'll be brought back into communion with the Father. That is going to take place in the coming hours. However, going forward now, beyond the cross, beyond being justified, he prays that we would be united. He prays that we would be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The use of the word reconcile here means to re be restored to the favor of God to recover God's favor. And Jesus knows we'll be united with him and the Father, but he prays that we would be united with one another. Now we see kind of two things that are going to be taking place. Right last week, Joby described sanctification as Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth, by his word. His word is truth. And now, also, that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. So we are to be united through our sanctification. We are to be united while being sanctified. Redeemed sinners are to be united with other redeemed sinners while being made holy and still moving towards the upwards call of Christ Jesus. Now, staying united is about as easy as me keeping a white shirt clean while eating an In-N-Out burger and fries. My wife was actually warned of my extreme eating habits uh, before we got married by loving, caring friends. They took her out, sat her down, and mentioned he will always have something on his face. <laughs> However, Despite its difficulty, the Bible says we are to hold to unity as it says, as it says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And while we are eagerly seeking unity, we are being sanctified by truth. I think it's pretty amazing that God has purposed seeking unity to be a part of our sanctification process. Right? Be united with one another. That'll sanctify you. So uh, anyone here married? I know there are. You don't have to raise your hands. 
rhetorical questions. Anyone here have a best friend? Anyone here have brothers or sisters? Does anyone here have to come in contact with others at all? So now, I want to talk about when I was single. I thought of myself as a very selfless person. I would serve, I would give, I would sacrifice my time. But then I got married, which also, another disclaimer, right, is awesome, and I wouldn't want it in any other way. However, things came out of my heart that I would not have never known were in there had, it not been, not, how, had I not been brought into community or unity with my wife. All of a sudden, at least I thought it was all of a sudden, I was selfish, not very serving, and could not bear to sacrifice any more of my time. If you have a best friend, they will call you out. They will speak truth to you because they care for you. Proverbs says, better is a wound from a friend than a kiss from an enemy. That community or unity with your friend is sanctifying you. Kids, when your brother or sister take that last cookie, or they get to pick the movie, or they got to do something and you didn't, or they have a later curfew than you, there may be some teaching moments, some sanctifying moments that arise. And parents, we can agree on that. You see, you want what is yours. We all want what is ours. We don't want to submit to one another. We don't want to consider others more significant than ourselves. At least our flesh does not. James 4. What quarrels, or what causes quarrels, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are waged with war, or at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Selfish desires break unity. Now the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And the unity with one another, with the body of Christ, here, us, is going to have some of the same sanctifying qualities as the list I had mentioned above. Friends. Spouses, wives. Jesus has given us salvation that we may be one. He has given us glory, even, that we may be one. In 23 through 23 of 17, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one. I know it's funny. Now, the unity that Jesus prays for, that the Bible commands us to strive for, is not only for our own sanctification, although that is definitely something that happens, but it's for something even greater than that. There is a purpose in our union, a purpose for why we need to have unity as the Father does with the Son. I'm going to go back to some key words I may kind of have just breezed over um, before. They're in verses 21 and 23, so I'm going to go ahead and read 20 through 23 again with my own emphasis. John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We need to be united because of the blood of Christ to the glory of God. We were brought together because of the blood of Christ to bring glory to the Father and for our joy and nothing else. A few months back, while we were still in the courtyard, we spoke of our love for one another, our unity with one another, testifying to the world. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And John, 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Love and unity, they are inseparable. There is a purpose in our toil for unity, in submitting to one another, in fighting against our selfish desires, in the uncomfortable conversations, in the rebuking, the, correct, the correction, the training in righteousness, in the picking up our cross and following him. There is a purpose. It is the same purpose that caused him to pick up the cross and lay down his life to reconcile us to the Father and to glorify his name. He died that we may be once again have union with him. And he prays, the Son of God prays to his Father that we too would be united with one another. Too many times do we give much weight to little things. Too many times I have fought for, my, for purposes that were not my own and that were my own. And as James said in chapter 4, it only breeds quarrels. Matthew Henry says this, he says, The more they dispute about lesser things, the more they throw doubts upon Christianity. Jesus knows the world will be watching us as we follow him. And he knows the absolute best way to make his name known is our unity. Once we forego unity, once we let our own purposes come to the forefront, the world looks at us and sees their doubts grow. They say they love Jesus, but that guy doesn't even love his wife. They say they love Jesus, but that wife disrespects her husband. Those kids say they love Jesus, but they rebel and disobey their parents, just like me. They say they love their friends, but they seem so selfish with the things in their life. Another intense quote, this one's from Thomas Manson, no relation to any other ones. Divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. When the church is divided, we look like everyone else. Jesus said in Mark 3.25, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
but we are to stand, to be united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to stand. In church, everything God does is for our good. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it's hard to believe, and sometimes it's as clear as day. But he is sanctifying you for your good. He is moving us toward himself and at the same time toward one another. Our unity is to be something that the world stops and looks at and looks upon with wonder. Brittany's desire for unity permeated through every aspect of her life with her husband, her kids, her friends, her family, and even those who had only had one conversation with her. Our unity, in all circumstances, trials, pains, joys, failures, successes, has the ability to reveal God's glory to a lost and divided world. The gospel is to speak into the world. The world is not to speak into the gospel. In Romans 14, 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And down continues into verse 19, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, I love this quote. I've been reading kind of like an exegetical book on John. There's like four authors, so I don't know which one of them said this, but it's a pretty cool quote. He says, every Sunday morning when my church meets, I look around. I see scientists, accountants, professors, students, blue-collar workers, management, small business owners, retirees, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. There's no reason for them to sit in the same room and listen to me unless I am teaching the truth about Jesus Christ. Christ revealed in his word. He goes on to say, all of us know and understand that we're sinners deserving of God's punishment, but we've received God's grace because we believe on Jesus through the word of the apostles. Philippians 2, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you not to only look to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this seems near impossible to do. So many things are competing for our loyalty. So many things are driving a wedge into our friendships, families, and fellowship. And on our own, unity is unattainable. But God, Jesus said, I will send you the helper. Because apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Apart from the vine, we can do nothing. We saw that in John 15, 5. And the vine is Christ. And we are bound to him by the Holy Spirit through the power of his blood. Jesus teaches us to be united, to make God's glory made known. 
Jesus prays for our unity, that God might be made known to the world. And Jesus died for us, that we might be united with him and see the glory of him that existed before the foundation of the world. Now in verses 17, chapter 17, 24 through 26, Jesus continues, Father, a desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The same Jesus that was there at the beginning of the universe is the same Jesus in these verses praying for you. This is mind-boggling. Praying that we as Christ followers, followers would love one another in unity. In Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And not only was there he in the beginning, but he longs for us. Think about that. He longs for us to be with him that we may fully understand his glory and love. His longing for us is that we would be in the world, but not of it. He has purpose for us for unity to reveal the glory of God to the world. Jesus says, I desire, right? I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, the word desire here means to fix one's will on, to stick resolutely to. And isn't that what Jesus did? It was for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. Jesus resolutely fixed his will on bringing you, Christian, into the presence of the Father. Through shame, suffering, sadness, and spears, Christ laid down his life that we may know his glory. And by the promised Holy Spirit are guaranteed to one day be with him in that glory. For those of you who have yet to believe, be amazed and astounded by the work of God through the sacrifice of Jesus the word of God who created all things, humbled himself, stepped off his eternal throne and took on humanness. He walked amongst his own creation as creator with perfect gentleness and holiness. He lived without blemish. He lived perfectly and he died as perfect because you are not. You cannot live to God's standard. And so God being rich in mercy, died the death we deserve so that we may become the righteousness of God, a righteousness you don't deserve. Now as we close 
In verse 26, Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus will continue by his word and the work of the Holy Spirit to make his name known in the hearts of those who believe and in the hearts of those who will believe. His word will be continued to be known through us, his body, as we seek to be unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. His word endures forever. So it is impossible for it not to continue. God's goodness is eternal. So it will continue to be made known. And God's love is everlasting. So it will never run dry. The shepherd, he will gather his sheep. And the shepherd, he will keep his sheep. And all of his sheep will be with him in his glory and the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You sent your Son in our place that we may know you, that we may be welcomed back into communion with you. Jesus, you prayed for us. Your desire is for us. You continue even now to pray for us, interceding by the Holy Spirit. Lord, there are times where we do not yet know how to pray, but Lord, it says your spirit groans for us. Lord, the longings of our heart are presented to you, Father, by the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ. We get to be in communion with you. And Father, as we are united with you, would you help us to be united with one another? Would you help us to be one as you and the Son are one? Lord, help us in our unity testify to the world, to our friends, to our workplaces, to the conversations we have, that our unity with one another, the love we have for one another, would send a message of the true and holy, righteous, good God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, we pray all these things in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.